Welcome to Hope in Suffering, a new series of interviews where we ask the question, where do you find hope in times of suffering? I'm Alistair Wallace. I work for Scottish Bible Society and alongside Fiona Stewart, I've been talking to people from all over the world who've had very different life experiences, but have all had to deal in one way or another with suffering. And while the ways of suffering have been different, the places they look for hope is the same. They look to the Bible. You may be listening to this during a time of suffering. You may be listening at a place where you feel you have no hope. Whatever our circumstances, we want these interviews to challenge us to look further into the unique hope that the God of the Bible offers. One that doesn't deny suffering, but promises something so much greater than we can hold on to, even in the midst of this broken world and our broken lives. On this episode, we talked to Mike Bezous. We'll introduce him properly in a moment, but at the start of our chat, we were keen to find out more about his surname. We're now recording. The family names, identity and belonging became a strong theme in our conversation. You'll see why. But the name Bezous is where it all began. Is it Bezous or Bezous? Do we pronounce the S? Bezous. Yes. Bezous. Beautiful. The, the family name uh, uh, is actually coming from uh, what we call an Aramaic root. Uh, that's the language that Jesus spoke. And apparently in our church history, there was a Saint Basus uh, who was martyred uh, for his faith. And so after uh, searching our family name, it, it's, it's quite interesting because uh, uh, it comes from uh, the language that Jesus spoke. Uh, it carries the name of uh, a martyred saint for Christian faith. So it's, uh, it's a, a big responsibility, doesn't it? Mike lives in Beirut in Lebanon, which is where he was when we spoke to him. For the last 20 years, he's been at the Bible Society in Lebanon, and for 15 of those years, he's been the General Secretary. His role has taken him across the globe, and he's visited over 60 countries. Yet while he's seen so much of the world, Lebanon has been his home all his life. What is it about, um, about Lebanon? What, what is it about you know, you've traveled the world, but what, what has kept you there? Uh, well, you know, I, I always tell the story of when uh, I graduated from Long Island University in New York uh, on May 17, uh, 1987, and was on the flight back home the next day. Uh, and Lebanon was going through civil war at that time. And people would ask me, are you crazy? You're going back to a country <clears throat> into its, was I think 12th year of civil war in 87 because the war ended in 1990. And uh, to them, I would say, no, that's home. That's where I feel I belong. And the many, many years later of having told the story many times, uh, one person came up to me and says, well, you know, that voice inside of your head could have been the Holy Spirit. And it's good to think of it like that, that, uh, you know, God does not always reveal his full plan to us, uh, but sends us little messages here and there. And so uh, now when I look back, our involvement in ministry, despite having traveled all over the world, uh, we feel that this is the place where God meant us to be. Unfortunately, many people go out of their way 
to go to places where they, God really did not mean for them to go. They just want to secure, the word we use a lot, is they want to secure the future of their children. Uh, but God works in mysterious ways. Uh, my boys, the three of them are having, you know, they have excellent jobs. They're all over the world. They're not here anymore. They're, the security comes from being within God's plan in our lives. That's the most secure way that we can actually do our work. Rather than try to create our own path, the best way is to simply depend on his guidance and be within his plan for our life. That's very, it's very helpful. I, I wanted to come back as well. I thought it was really interesting when I asked you there to describe, you know, to introduce yourself. Immediately you began to speak about your name and you began to speak about the, the Aramaic background and, and immediately we begin to make these connections. And, and I think obviously that's true for you personally, but there is something about Lebanon, isn't there, in terms of its its closeness to the biblical narrative. Lebanon is a country that has suffered and its people know suffering. And, and you know, you've talked there about that idea of people going outside of the country to, to find security. Is there a particular story of suffering that, that is a helpful thing for you as a Lebanese person to share with to share with us? This is a biblical land. It's mentioned several times in the Bible. However, as you said, this is a land that is suffering all the time. I mean, there hasn't been a time where uh, Lebanon was not going through some sort of uh, issue or uh, uh, crisis. I mean... Uh, just to think of it, and you know, again, I, I can reflect now and, and think of the past, but the civil war in Lebanon started when I was nine years old. Uh, so basically, I, I just have little memories of a peaceful Lebanon, but nothing serious. And the civil war ended three months after I got married at 24. Uh, I didn't know this, you know, the war was going to end in three months. I could have waited. I was still young. Uh, but you, uh, but that's the kind of, of issue that we had to live both our adolescent life going into adulthood, wanting to create a family in the middle of civil war. Uh, so suffering has been accompanying us. Uh, and I don't look at it in a negative way. I think of it as a way in which it has deepened our faith. It has deepened our faith in the country. Uh, I mean, I, as a child, I remember my father reading Psalm 91 every night as we heard the bombshells go over our heads. I mean, uh, you can look at this in, in two ways. You can look at this as, wow, what a suffering life uh, you've had or many people have had in Lebanon. Or you can look at this and say, wow, I admire the faith that has kept you in that country despite suffering. So there are two ways to look at it, a positive way and a negative way. And we chose the positive way. We chose that uh, suffering crisis is, is part of life. Um, and you know what? <laughs> if I want to be a little bit theological, I mean, Jesus promised that suffering. He didn't say, hey, if you follow me, you're going to have a great life. A great health insurance, uh, uh, you know, liquidity in the bank. Uh, you're going to have uh, safety nets. You're going to have a great investment. You're going to have... Uh... No, he didn't say those things. He said, if you follow me, you are going to have trouble. These <laughs> were his exact words. And so I don't know why some people 
crack down when they're suffering and they God. I mean, this is what Jesus told us. Jesus said, you will follow me, you will have trouble. However, uh, the caveat of that verse is in the following words. But don't worry, because I have overcome this world. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. To me, it means that I am serving on a team, Jesus' team. Jesus' team has already won the match or won the battle. And the suffering that we are going through in this lifetime is temporary compared to the prize that we have already won through Jesus because he has overcome the world. So, I mean, if I want to go back and talk about suffering, there's a lot of suffering in our lives. Yet, we look at it positively, we look at it as a means to deepen our faith and as a means to share the hope that we have in our faith. Psalm 91, the psalm Mike's dad read to him, begins, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Words read in churches and Christian homes around the world, but perhaps not words that every Christian really knows the importance of if they don't feel they need shelter and if they don't actually need God to give them refuge because they feel quite safe in the world. But what about the Christians in Lebanon, a place where suffering is part of daily life? Do you speak of a suffering for your faith and in life? Or does the hope of the Bible fade away a bit as suffering has become something the country has experienced for so long? I mean, it, it, you do discuss it, and every time we have a new crisis of a new issue, like now in Lebanon, other than COVID-19, we have an economic meltdown, we have a political system that's about to explode. It's a, it's a continuous suffering that we go on. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, because I travel a lot in the region, uh, and of course, Christians have been suffering in the region for centuries, not to say just decades, for centuries. But if we just look back at the latest suffering, it was mainly the Christian villages in the Nineveh plain, another biblical place where when ISIS attacked the villages, they all left in a hurry. And, you know, we wanted to go and help them and be there next to them. These are our suffering Christian brothers and sisters. And every single time that I went there, went to a refugee camp, uh, distributed food packages and Bibles or whatever we were able to do, I would come back and report to my team that we went hoping to uplift our brothers and sisters. And we come back feeling more hopeful because of their faith. There is something very, very strange when it comes to suffering. For a question, if you take suffering as something that is part of our Christian identity, and I'm using these words because I'm convinced suffering is part of our Christian identity. It comes with the job description. If you are to be followers of Christ, there is suffering. You accept the job, yes or no, that's it. So when I go and try to give hope to brothers and sisters in the region who have been suffering, I really come back being full of hope from their actions and their reactions. And that's not to demand that there is suffering. 
And uh, not to say that many people have lost loved ones and are traumatized, are in need of our help, in, in need to, to feel God's presence in their life. I'm not undermining that. I'm saying for the majority of people that I've met, and we went with the mentality to go and raise their hope, we came back more hopeful than because we were, we felt their hope reflecting on us. Do you think our capacity to hope is larger if our experience of suffering is, is more? I would, I would say that there have been many, many conclusions that when Christians are suffering, the level of their faith and commitment goes up. There's always, there's always lessons learned in our faith journey that we can only learn through suffering. And so it is difficult, but it is also a privilege. So, <laughs> What can I say more than that? And when you talk about hope, uh, I'm, people usually say that I'm a hopeful person. Uh, I really call myself an, an optimistic realist. Uh, but I learned a lot of lessons about hope. And I've seen hope in the eyes of a, of a, a 10-year-old refugee child who wants to become a pilot. And you see the hope in an elderly man who's been kicked out of his village and says, my hope is to be buried back. My so hope is still there. We simply have to, to look for it. In fact, one of our uh, uh, friends said a very important, he wrote a book about hope. His name is Terry Law. He said, hope is a choice. But as Christians, we have no choice but to choose hope. So it is a choice. But as Christians, as people of hope, we have no choice except to so it is a matter of a of a of an attitude, a Christian attitude towards the future. If we depend fully on God's providence, if we believe every word that Jesus said, we believe the Bible, we know that He holds everything in His hands, and we have to have hope. And we have no choice but to have hope in God's providence. Earlier, you, you spoke about um, the strengthening of, of faith that comes from, from suffering. But you also mentioned that kind of for, for Lebanon as, as a whole, there's the, the kind of faith in, in, in the country and, and, and what it can do. Do you think you could tell us a bit about the faith story currently in Lebanon and how the Christian outlook differs from, from the rest of, of society? Well, Lebanon, uh, until the Civil War, had almost a, a good ratio of Christians in Lebanon. So I think it was more than 50%. And the civil war changed those demographics. And now it's down to almost 30%. Uh, but again, if you, if you look at the way that, uh, that our uh, Christian faith was practiced prior to 1975, most people belonged, but did not believe. Or so you were born into a Christian family or you were born into one of the 12 Christian uh, uh, confessions that we have uh, and that's your belonging so you mainly practice your Christianity in a traditional uh, cultural way now we see with the numbers going down and all the suffering that has happened we have lots of believing and not necessarily belonging so now more of a faith uh, based 
approach, even if I'm born in, and now you see ecumenical movements happening everywhere. It's no longer the little clusters of belonging. It's actually reaching out. We are actually living, let me say this very nicely. We are actually living a honeymoon when it comes to church relations in, in Lebanon. Respect, uh, reconciliation, acceptance of the other. Uh, our board is an example of that. Our board of trustees, we have 12 members and four are Protestant evangelicals, four are Orthodox and four are Catholics. And so you just see that type of coordination that, and, and you know, <laughs> if I want to be bold enough to say, because the church here is suffering, they are willing to work better together. I mean, so you have to look at, at the positive sides that come out of suffering because the church is suffering, because they're losing congregations, because people are immigrating, because the numbers are dwindling. We are more united and we want to work better together and we want to love each other. So suffering can sometimes teach us lessons that we cannot gain under normal circumstances. I think that's really interesting to to think about countries where the church is safe to meet, you know, and Christianity is free to be lived out without any sort of suffering. That's where the church begins to fight amongst itself. It's sort of this, this privilege or, or a curse, really, of having freedom of practicing their faith. And I've said that again and again. I'll keep on repeating it. Uh, when Jesus was, was sending the apostles to change the world. Uh, he never said that Christianity was going to be a majority religion. Uh, he never said you're going to be a, it was a handful, 12 people, uh, that changed the course of mankind. But in fact, Jesus said you will be salt and light in this dark world. Mike, you've, you've talked about how the experience of hope, the experience of suffering gives you the impetus to share that with others. And I would love to know a bit more about how, what that looks like currently. You've, you've talked about the refugee camps and so on. How does that work out when, when you're seeing people in the direst of circumstances? Even within Christian communities and refugees camps, if they have been traumatized and even if they have a Bible and you give them a Bible, they feel God has rejected them and left them. If someone is traumatized, if a mother is traumatized because she's lost uh, her, her husband and and she's asking, where is God? And why did God allow us, allow this to happen? But you say, here's a book. This will tell you about God. It's not going to happen. But if you go back and say, we're going to help you. We're going to show you uh, uh, examples of how many people lost loved ones in the Bible and how they were able to overcome their trauma. I wonder if you could share any stories of, of uh, I guess, hope within these refugee camps you know that you're bringing bringing the bible or you know bringing the the, the truths of of hope and suffering uh, to these refugees is are are you seeing that actually they, they are finding hope trauma healing is probably the most powerful one where we see the results immediately because right after the trauma healing equipping sessions uh, people come to the cross and they pin their suffering on that cross and that is a very symbolic way in which you allow people to say, Here, here's my suffering Lord, I'm pinning it to your cross and getting it over with. And right now, uh, off my head, we have, we've done more than 500 equipping sessions for trauma healing. Uh, 
to us, that's a big number. That's 500 people who are now fully engaging with others on how to overcome the trauma using the Bible. And this is very important because we, uh, this is a Bible-based program, using Bible verses in order to overcome your trauma. Sometimes it feels that, you know, in a place like Scotland or, or the UK, when you add the element of suffering into faith, suddenly it gets complicated. But I think what has been really challenging listening to you and is is that actually in a, in a place where where suffering is 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 the norm or has been experienced that actually the gospel message and and the living out of of faith becomes quite clear and i was wondering if you might be able to uh just say something to to those who might be listening who because of certain circumstances you know with with uh you know we're we're speaking um you know, while the UK is coming out of a lockdown, but there is a global pandemic um, and suddenly suffering is happening for people who've not known it before. Um, what, what would you say to those who, who are suddenly experiencing suffering, perhaps for the first time? Uh, first of all, uh, I don't want to be misunderstood. If you're living a nice, comfortable life, I'm not against that. Uh, this is where God has meant you to be and you need to, uh, to live your faith there. Uh, so I'm not asking people to uh, everybody just go out and suffer for Christ, uh, because again we need a prosperous church to be able to help the suffering church. It's not a uh, this is a, a very uh, equitable equation. We, we need a prosperous church and a, and a one that is that is uh, uh, fundamentally being able to support the suffering church. We can't all possibly be suffering at the same time. However, as you mentioned, the COVID-19 brought us to that point where actually most of the church is suffering around the world. Uh, and so suddenly we're into a new, new reality of, uh, uh, you know, my boys, they're living outside, but they're suffering because they can't move out, they're suffering exactly like us. And it put, to me, it put the entire humanity on one scale. Uh, whether you're rich or poor, you're... Uh, uh, living comfortably or not, everybody is now on the same scale. And it raised a lot of questions. And we were very active during this lockdown, uh, giving out online tips on how to uh, take advantage of the lockdown to get closer to the Word of God. I mean, many people have never read the Bible or never committed to, to read the New Testament. And so we put out reading plans out there to, and people reacted very positively because they were starting to rediscover the word of God or discover it for the first time. So suffering to me is, is now uh, part of most humanity. And what we saw with COVID-19, it is expected with such uh, uh, pandemics to, to appear every few years. It is expected that we have to, uh, to change some of our social practices. Uh, so what's the word of hope? Uh, to, to me, as a Christian, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to do three things, right? You have to deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. Uh, the denying myself 
is, is the is the part I like. It's, I have to deny my my nationality. I have to deny my wealth. I have to deny my famous family history name that I just gave you at the beginning. I have to get you know. This is the denying means we are all going to be equal in the eyes of God. So uh, the, the word of hope here is that deny yourself. I mean, don't stop thinking. Well, I come from a very comfortable country or a very nice neighborhood. We all have to deny ourselves in order to become followers of Christ. Now, the second is to carry our cross. To some, the cross will be heavy and burdensome. To others, it might be a light cross, but each one of us has a cross. And based on our resilience, God will provide the cross that we can actually carry through life and make a difference. So again, this has, I'm not saying that we are all going to be carrying the same type of cross, but we have to recognize that for some, their cross is going to be small or tiny, and for others, it's going to be a heavy burden. The third condition is to follow him. Follow him, follow his footsteps, follow his teaching, follow his role model, and follow, if needed, his footsteps all the way to the cross. And so my message of hope is that suffering will always be part of life. It was part of Jesus' life. It is part of our Christian identity. Yet hope is most abundant when suffering prevails. So that, that is what the message that I'd like to send out there. You want abundant hope? You will only discover it when suffering prevails, unfortunately. Uh, and whether you can embrace that suffering with the eyes of hope and faith, that would be great. Just try not to be negative towards the suffering and offer Jesus a chance to work in your life when you are going through a certain type of suffering. Our thanks to Mike Pazuski. You can find out more about the work of the Bible Society Lebanon by visiting biblesociety.org.lb. For more on the theme of hope and suffering, go to www.scottish.bible forward slash hope in suffering. <laughs>